Day 36. Watching the final relay races at Tokyo reminds me of the start of the relay programme in the UK. The idea of this internship was born in a chat with Nigel Lee walking round a golf course in Leamington Spa. I'd known him for a number of years through OM and he had recently started working with UCCF. I was planning to finish my time with the organisation at the end of the year and he asked, if I was trying to persuade you to stay to help lead some change and you could do anything you wanted to do, what would it be? This was not a question I was expecting to be asked, but immediately I found myself saying I'd like to start an internship programme to intentionally invest in the next generation of leaders for church, mission and workplace. Nigel smiled, as he often did, and thought this would be worth exploring. Not everyone was enthusiastic initially, but from that unexpected conversation grew the Relay programme. The name came sometime later from watching the Barcelona Olympics and the key idea about passing on what has been passed on to you from Arlen Hauntz when I was a student at Aberdeen. It was an enormous privilege to lead this programme for the first seven years of its life and to pass the baton of leadership on to Andy Shuddle, who in turn passed it on to Morris McCracken and then to other hands. At that first relay training, we had no idea that relay would still be running seven Olympic Games later. It has been astonishing to see the impact that relay continues to have all around the world. We thought it would be a moment, but it grew to be a movement. Today, I'm thankful for Relay and the blessing and learning I have received through playing a small part in that extraordinary story. I'm also grateful for that special group of Relay originals and the encouragement they and many others since continue to be. Some days I get to the evening and I really wonder if I can be bothered to read the psalm. It's not that I need to or that anyone will know if I do not. I have many valid excuses from pain to tiredness to busyness. I remember years ago a student asking me if I could recommend some less demanding Bible reading notes. He had tried using a daily guide but grew discouraged when he was days behind in the schedule. So something like every second day with Jesus, I suggested. There are certainly dangers in legalism, but there are also advantages in discipline. I know the way my emotions are at the moment. The excuses would easily overwhelm me. The commitment to counting a blessing and reading a scripture is more necessary at the moment precisely because I don't feel like it. So I'll try to keep going for a hundred days. But that commitment means today. In Psalm 36, David has a message in his heart from God. It primarily concerns the sinfulness of the wicked and their destiny. The God rebel tunes into sedition, all ears eager to sin. He has no regard for God. He stands insolent before him. 
He has smooth-talked himself into believing that his evil will never be noticed. Words gutter from his mouth, dishwater dirty. Can't remember when he did anything decent. Every time he goes to bed, he fathers another evil plot. When he's loose on the streets, nobody's safe. He plays with fire and doesn't care who gets burned. God's love is meteoric, his loyalty astronomic, his purpose titanic, his verdicts oceanic. Yet in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. How exquisite your love, O God. How eager we are to run under your wings, to eat our fill at the banquet you spread as you fill our tankards with Eden spring water. You're a fountain of cascading light and you open our eyes to light. Keep on loving your friends. Do your work in welcoming hearts. Don't let the bullies kick me around, the moral midgets slap me down. Send the upstarts sprawling flat on their faces in the mud. This is not a comfortable psalm. It identifies people who rebel against God and choose to follow their own desires without reference to him. Where we stand before God is not like our preference for a particular flavour of ice cream or our allegiance to a sports team. In these cases, there is a spectrum of acceptable alternatives. Here it is clear that there are men and women who have no regard for God, who delude themselves, are strangers to decency, plan evil and are indifferent to the pain of others. This kind of self-serving evil that exploits others is common in fiction from Bond villains to Harry Potter and has emerged from the shadows at different points in history and today. Whenever we see this clearly, we want good to triumph over evil. David contrasts the evil with the goodness of God. The meteoric, astronomic, titanic, oceanic language is fabulous, but it's perhaps more easily understood in more accessible prose. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. This is why the psalm is uncomfortable. Because it raises the question of are we for God or against him? If we are on the Lord's side, we experience protection, no love that does not falter, and enjoy abundant provision, refreshment and light. If we are not on the Lord's side, we will live away from him, opposed to his purposes, will enjoy whatever we can secure for ourselves in the short term, and will ultimately face judgment. There is no middle ground, no neutral position. 
It is the polarity of good and evil that leads David to pray that the bullies will be brought down and will reap the consequences of their evil actions. Jesus teaches the disciples in Matthew's Gospel. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are two gates, which each lead to a road. There are two roads, one is broad, the other is narrow. One is popular, and one less so. Each road has a terminus. The wide gate accesses the broad road, which is well-travelled and leads to destruction. The small gate to the narrow road, which leads to life, but is less well-travelled. The good news is, there is an invitation to enter through the narrow gate. Jesus elsewhere makes it clear that he is the gate, and that he is the way that because of the cross and resurrection, we can be on the Lord's side. As the old hymn goes, Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Who will be his helpers, other lives to bring? Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, We are on the Lord's side. Saviour, we are thine. David didn't understand all of this in the way we do, but he knew enough to be eager to run towards God's love and the shelter of his wings. Which is really why our really runners run. And they don't run around the track. Really is a road race on a narrow road towards a fantastic finish. If you're running strong, keep going. If you've hit the wall or fallen over, get up. And if you're still on that wide road, come on over.